So um, goal today, this is a, is a pretty long story, a lot of scripture, but a, but a neat story. Some of you might be familiar with, some of you might not. And so we're going we're gonna to talk all the way through it, and then we're going to uh, touch on some application points. Uh, brief review if you're, if you're new here or if you haven't been here in a while. We've been going through Genesis for the last few months, uh, tracking the origins of the gospel. And we've, we've seen creation and the fall. And, and honestly, we're, we're still seeing, in the big scheme of things, we're still seeing the effects of, of that fall. We're continuing to see God's overarching plan of, of redemption, of bringing the world back to him. And so from creation on, we kind of see this, this thread of the line of Christ. And we're going to continue to see that today. It was promised to Abraham that, that the world will be blessed through his seed. And so we're continuing to follow that thread. After the flood, we met Abraham, who was promised descendants that outnumbered the stars. And, and in those descendants, the world would be blessed. However, Abraham and Sarah, as we found out, had to wait a long time on the fulfillment of that promise. Uh, when you're promised the descendants and you don't have even one child, you can begin to doubt God. They did, but they waited, and that promise was delivered. Uh, we now pick up the story with Isaac, that son's family. Uh, and they, uh, last week we saw Scott uh, preached about them kind of going through a very similar thing of, of, of struggling with barrenness despite having this promise in their lives. They, okay God, where are you? And then finally they were able, with the Lord's help, to conceive twins. And Rachel was, uh, or excuse me, Rebecca uh, had a prophecy that the younger son would lead the older son. Very non-traditional. You know, in this community, the older son was always seen as the, as the next in line. Uh, but Rebecca was told that it was the younger uh, that would be in charge, that would lead the older and so Isaac has now come to the end of his life, and uh, he has basically requested one last meal uh, from his favorite son, Esau, uh, the manly man, the, 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 the rough and tumble hunter. Uh, go kill me something, fix it, and eat it like I like it, and then, then I will bless you. In verse 5, however, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I might eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I, I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So it would see for, in, in this first scene that mother and father are in disagreement here. Uh, they've each got their own favorite, don't they? Uh, of, of the twin boys, you, you've got Esau, the manly man, and Jacob, the, the girly man, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but Jacob is, is Rebekah's favorite, whereas Esau is Isaac's favorite. Isaac desires to bless Esau, but Rebekah wants to make sure Jacob gets this blessing. So, so Jacob takes some issue with this, but Rebekah has thought this plan out, and 
So Rebecca or Jacob does as his mother requests. Verse 14. So he went out and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. This is actually quite a humorous scene when you think about it. Uh, you've got, uh, apparently Esau, you know, was an incredibly hairy individual. Uh, and it, forgive the rabbit trail, but it reminds me of a story. When I was working in college ministry, a bunch of us went uh, white water rafting. Uh, a big group of guys, and I, I still remember standing there in a, on a hilltop in Tennessee. We were waiting for our, our, our call to go and decided to play some football. We decided shirts and skins would be appropriate given the temperature of the day, and, and my buddy Joel took his, took his shirt off, and we all went, ah, <laughs> look at all that hair. You know, he just got, oh, you wearing a sweater? Yeah, ha, ha. And then, then this other guy, Eric, took his shirt off, and we all went, oh, and it was solid. I mean, just nothing but hair. And so for some strange reason, every time I read of Esau, I picture Eric Gardner <laughs> and just fuzz, you know, just the, this thick fur. Because to, to, to be able to fool Isaac, I mean, think about this. Jacob is wearing goat skins. Have you ever petted a goat? Pet a goat? I mean, it, it, it's pretty hairy. So all of this, all of this scheme, all of this ruse depends on... Jacob is standing there covered in goat skins and, and holding the, the goats <laughs> that have been cooked to taste like game that Isaac likes. All of this is hinging on the fact that, that Isaac has lost his sight and he cannot see. And so they are trying to pull a fast one on Isaac. Verse 18. So he went to his father and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? <laughs> Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to, to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were very hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and drank. So Jacob has entered Isaac's tent and Isaac has immediate suspicions here. Some, something's just not quite right. Uh, the speed of the hunt was just a little off, uh, but Jacob attributes it to God, uh, which as we'll, I'll cover in a minute is not a good step. Uh, he also suspects, suspects that Jacob's voice is a little off. Uh, you know, Esau, for some reason, I imagine, had a deeper voice, and so this probably sounded like me trying to sing Barry White to my wife. You know, it just wasn't quite right. Something was off that doesn't sound... And so to cover these suspicions, Jacob tells outright lies. 
He basically stands before his father and says, yes, I am Esau. The most dangerous of his lie, though, attributed his rapid hunt to God. Do you know how dangerous that is? A, a lot of scholars believe that as we look at the Ten Commandments, to take the Lord's name in vain does not mean just a casual swear word here and there, but it means to ascribe God's name to something he did not do. Jacob is doing that here. He, he's, that's not what happened. God did not give him success in, in his hunt. His mom manipulated the food by killing a couple of the goats that were right there in the pen. And yet he attributes his success to God. The scam works, and Isaac prepares to bless his younger son instead of his older son. Verse 26, we read of this blessing. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May, the God give you the, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Interesting note here. I found it interesting at least. Isaac has lost his sight and therefore relies on all his other senses. Have you noticed that all four other human faculties have been mentioned here? Hearing, taste, touch, and smell. Isaac relies on these things to verify. Now, now why that's so interesting to me is that, that faith in and of itself has been defined by a lack of sight, things that we cannot see. And yet in this moment, instead of Isaac having faith in God, he has faith in his other faculties which fail him. And I, I think there's a pattern there that we do that. We, we, we typically rely on our other strengths when we feel weak in one area. But let's look at the blessing. The content of the blessing is, is so similar to, to the blessing given to Abraham and then passed down to Isaac, which seems to signify that this, this blessing of the Abrahamic covenant now is passing down through Jacob. It's being passed down through Jacob, and Jacob will be the line that, that blesses the world. Now, we know the end of the story. We know what, what ends up to, uh, unfolding, and we know that this ends up happening. Sure enough, Jacob is the line of Christ. That, that It goes from Jacob to, to Judah, and then generations later through the, through the line of David. And all of those prophesied of Christ coming through those, those lines. So this blessing is... is it, it, the fruit is found in Christ, but now it's going to be passing through Jacob, which is what God said all along. So, so there's definitely some tension that we'll talk about here in a minute. Let's first finish out the story. Uh, verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. 
As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly called Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, me, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So both Esau and Isaac are understandably distraught by this, uh, by what has happened. They've been fooled. They've been deceived. Esau points out the play on words of Jacob's name of being a heel grabber or a deceiver and saying his name is right. And what's interesting, in, in, a, in a couple weeks, you'll see Jacob's name finally changed. Uh, but as for now, that name matches his actions. He is a deceiver, a heel grabber. Isaac then has his spiritual eyes seemingly opened and he, and he starts to see what's been going on. And, and he gives a prophecy for Esau, but it's not the blessing Esau was hoping for. Verse 39, then Isaac, his father, answered him and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live. And you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Interestingly enough, this prophecy as well indeed comes true. Uh, not just for Esau, but also for his descendants, the nation of Edom, who throughout the Old Testament become frequent opponents of Israel, uh, who, who are Jacob's descendants. And so this, this prophecy continues. And then finally in verse uh, 41, closing out the story. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, were, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him in, in a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? So this scene brings the end of this particular nuclear family. Jacob has now left and fled Esau's wrath. And Esau is, is left there ready to mourn his father at any time, but still consumed with anger towards Jacob. Isaac doesn't actually pass away until much later, but we will pick up with that narrative uh, that follows uh, Jacob next week. And so as we read through this story, it, it can be a, a rather humorous story. You've got some interesting pictures. And those of you that grew up in church or uh, have been around you know, Bible stories, you're probably familiar with this story and, and how it was told and how it was always awkwardly. Uh, the, 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 the teacher tried to make Jacob into some sort of hero, even though it's clear that he was deceptive and, 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 and cheating and lying throughout this. 
And, and so as, as humorous as the story is with the word pictures and the, and the play on Jacob, it's also a very disturbing story, isn't it? I mean, and Scott even last week said that, uh, that he felt like that was the most, one of the most disturbing stories that Brad had given him. I, I, I would tend to disagree. I think this one is even more so. The line of my Savior is going through a liar. I mean, I, I don't, that, that, that's tough to, to grasp. And so as we, as we look at this story and overview, I just want to bring out three important points that, that come to the forefront. Number one is this idea of depravity and dysfunction. Uh, the, the first di- disturbing part of this story of these great biblical heroes is the fact that they are in the running for the most dysfunctional family in history. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the deceit, the, the lying, the, the favoritism, all of it is just so dysfunctional. And, and what's interesting is that the, the two go together. The, the depravity is the cause of their dif- dysfunction. That, that hasn't changed today. As we see dysfunctional families, it's not, aw, we're all dysfunctional, aren't we? It's from our depravity. It's from the, the sin, and we see this sin so clearly in this story. Don't let the familiarity of the story let you forget. Jacob was wearing animal skins to fool his blind father. How shady is that? How schemy, how dark is that? They clearly, Jacob, or, or uh, Isaac and Rebecca, both played favorites. Just to make it clear, the way this family operates is not healthy. This is not a recommendation of how to, to, to work in a family. Each individual shows the, the inheritance of sin. This idea of, uh, that, that we've been not just tracking the roots of the gospel, but you can see the effects of the fall. Each member of the family, you can see it. Uh, we're not surprised by Esau, who's already been established to, to show the epitome of, of instant gratification and, and, and letting your stomach be your God and, and, and self-centered living. We're not surprised by him. But look at the other three. Consider Isaac. Despite having heard the prophecy regarding his sons and knowing that Jacob is God's chosen one, He instead tries to turn it around and make sure that his favorite son is the one who's blessed. He clearly knew the will of God here. And I think that's almost what's going on in the tent when he realizes that Jacob has fooled him. It's this realization that that prophecy, God's will, is coming true. And he he can't thwart the will of God as much as he wanted to try. It was this realization that, Esau, I can't bless you. I now see that God's will in this, that Jacob was the chosen one. And, and, and it sat on him. But isn't there a lot of Isaac in us? Often we, we see the will of God so clearly, but we go, I want it twisted a little. I want to go this direction. And, and, and so we manipulate our circumstances and, and, and thereby attribute things to God that that we're not from God, and we, we, we try to take a, a, a route that wasn't meant. Isaac, sinful, through and through. Rebecca, wow, she's certainly not clear in this, is she? She's treasured this promise from God about the older serving the younger. Why? Because Jacob was her favorite. 
She was looking forward to the day that, 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 that Jacob would indeed be the, the leader of their, their family. That he would be the patriarch. But instead of waiting on God, she becomes a manipulative marionette pulling the strings of, of Jacob's deceit. Very similar, I, I can't help but think back to uh, Sarah, who knowing that, that a child had been promised, finally said, well, and this is a little different than Isaac's tweaking, I see God's promise in my life, and I, I know what that promise is, but I'm going to be the one to make it happen. Sarah did that when she, she said, well, Abraham, you need a son. So, so here, here's my servant, Hagar. Have a son through her. And God's going the whole time, can't you just wait on me? Rebecca instead sees that promise of God, but is no less guilty than Isaac in this because she's manipulative in trying to get there. She's not waiting on God. She's making it, trying to make it happen herself. And then we come to Jacob. At the heart of this story is a conniving, manipulative little man who's a liar and a cheat. Before his blind father carries out this deceit and, and pretends to be his brother. And actually ends up with the blessing. Which we'll talk about in a minute as also disturbing. But, but Jacob is, is just as guilty as, as, as Isaac and Rebekah and Esau. So there's these great biblical heroes that have once again shown themselves to be far from perfect. We saw this pattern with, with Adam and Eve. Oh, the, the first man and woman are here, they fell. It was passed to Noah, he fell. Well, Abraham and Sarah, there are, there are, nope, they're just as fallen. And now Isaac and Rebekah, and, and passing it along to Jacob, we see that this is just fallen humanity. That to lift these heroes up, as heroes of faith, yes. But as heroes of righteousness and perfection, hardly. That they fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet, we are no different, are we? And so here's the point. Here's, here's the first challenge. Let's stop being surprised by sin. Let's stop being surprised by sin. When we see sin around us in the world, let, let's stop. It's in our neighbors. It's at work. It's in our home. It's in our church. It's in us. So why do we continue to say, oh, I can't believe they did that. Really, you can't? Read your Bible. <laughs> we're dysfunctional. We're depraved. And yet we're continually surprised by sin. Do not hear me say, let's all accept sin. Just accept it as part of who we are. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying we need to accept it or, or somehow overlook it or, or sugarcoat it. I'm saying let's stop being surprised by it. We live in a fallen world. And as a result, families around us are dysfunctional. People are dysfunctional. Individuals are depraved. And, but by the grace of Jesus Christ, so are we. If God looks down at us and does not see the blood of Jesus Christ, guess what? You're Isaac, you're Rebecca, you're Jacob. 
But if you have reached the point where you claim the blood of Christ, he doesn't see that, and that's what makes you righteous. So why are we surprised by sin? Why are we surprised when uh, a brother or a sister of ours, we find out that they've been living in sin or or a boss is fired because of embezzlement, or the neighbors down the street who you thought had all their life together were on the evening news for a tragic reason. And we all go, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Maybe we should stop for a minute and really understand what sin is. Sin is dark. Sin is deceitful. but we should not be surprised by it. Second point that we see in this story is this idea of an undeserved blessing. Another point of of note is is one we might be able to relate to as well. And once again, it can be a a, a bit disconcerting to to, to see this idea that, that Jacob actually leaves All of this deception, this ruse, this scheme, this con act, he leaves with God's blessing. And so that gives us pause and we go, wait a second. That doesn't doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound fair. And so we look at this and we can just dismiss a blessing as no big deal. Uh, But these blessings, I'm sure as you've seen, as you've read through Genesis and you will continue to read, uh, these blessings are a big deal. Three common themes are are, are present in in formal Old Testament blessings. We, We can see each of them in this. Number one, the greater always blesses the lesser. It's it's Isaac blessing his son, which he thought was Esau. Uh, The second pattern we see is the blessing is a sign of special favor that is intended to result in prosperity and success. And in this case, it means material prosperity and success, not not a spiritual one. If you notice, the content of the blessing was material wealth. And then finally, the blessing is actually an invocation for God's blessing. In each of these blessings. So we can sit here in the 21st century and go, why was Esau so upset? It seems so, seems so uh, superstitious. You know, why did he need his, his father to say some words over him? Well, you can, you can see throughout this train uh, in the patriarchs, these blessings had incredible prophetic word in them. That these blessings came true. And so no wonder Esau wanted a blessing. Because, because the way things, the stories that he had been told about his fathers before him, the blessing resulted in... in, in in prosperity, in success, in favor with God. And so there was this prophetic element, and and Esau wanted it, but Jacob wanted it as well, and Rebekah wanted it for Jacob. But the most important thing to note here is that Jacob did not deserve this blessing. Can we all agree on that? Not just based on the fact of how he acquired it, but also just his character in general, I think we can all look at this and go, Jacob did not deserve this blessing. And yet there's a picture of the gospel in this. If you have come to faith in Christ, you too have received an undeserved blessing. 
a blessing that you did not earn. Think about this. You're the same as Jacob, a conniving, manipulative cheat that doesn't deserve anything and yet promised eternity with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an undeserved blessing. That is not something you've earned. And so here's the action step for this. Stop pretending that we've earned it. We have this attitude. We have this arrogance. Yes, I'm a Christian. And we might not vocalize it, but in the back of our mind, we think it's because I've earned it. Have to read a very familiar passage here, but I think it hits perfectly at what we're seeing. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. It's interesting that we're so familiar with those words from Paul, and yet we see them lived out in Jacob, and we still, for some reason, separate ourselves from Jacob. We say, but I'm different. I, I have, I am a good person. Stop pretending that we've earned this grace that God has given us. It can be so tempting to see ourselves as, as good people that have earned the favor of God. But it is only God's grace that saves us. The only thing we have brought to our salvation is our sin. The only part of the recipe that we contribute is the necessity for it. The only part of our salvation that we can claim credit to. We may even see, and this is, this is so many of us fall into this, we may even see our initial union with Christ as grace, but believe that now our salvation is maintain, maintained through our righteous effort. And that's just as much of a lie. It is still maintained by Christ. That was actually one of the most freeing things uh, when I came to Veritas, uh, when we came to Veritas two and a half years ago. Uh, I had been a, a senior pastor for, for five years and it was, it was good to come and just sit and receive for a while. And one of the first things that, that we received is this idea. That because I, I really think I had bought into that. You know, grew up in a traditional Baptist church, walked an aisle, got dunked at age seven. Okay, now I've got to be a good boy. Now I've got to maintain this salvation. It's just as much of a lie as thinking I earned it in the first place. My works do not maintain my salvation. 
God's grace does. And by His grace, if I'm living in the strength of Christ and the Holy Spirit, then there will be good works. We so often get that backwards. That we think I have to continue to maintain this facade, that this idea. And that's something I love, absolutely love about this church and made us want to plant another congregation amongst the people that we call neighbors to spread this, especially this part of the gospel message is that you don't have to be fake. That we are depraved, we are dysfunctional, and it is God's grace that has saved me. There's nothing that I've earned. I am Jacob, I am Isaac, I am Rebecca, I am Esau, I'm Noah, I'm Sarah. We follow this same pattern of being in desperation for God to work in our lives. Stop pretending that we've earned it. I think we get that from this story as we read it, and we naturally want to separate ourselves from these patriarchs, forgetting that we're just like them. And we have received an undeserved blessing. Final thing that we see here is something, I mean, we have to address the theological elephant in this passage we won't go into depth in this, but you, you can clearly see that if Jacob did not earn the blessing, then why did God bless Jacob and not Esau? Because it was God's choice. And so, so clearly we see this, this doctrine of election. Uh, it's just simply God's choice. In Romans chapter 9, Paul lays out this very choice for us, and the choice between Esau and Jacob, and explains the sovereignty of God and, and God's right to choose in such a way. And we don't have time to cover it this morning, but and certainly not all the implications. But if this is something you continue to wrestle with, I, back last year, if you were here, we went through Romans chapter 9. I believe it was in July of last year that we would have hit 9. So if, if you just... Google Veritas Columbus Romans 9, and you'll probably get audio from Nick, Brad, or somebody else that comes up and, and listen through those ideas as, we, as you struggle with, this doesn't seem fair. Why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? Honestly, I don't think we'll ever know a why until we stand before God himself, but it's certainly not because he earned it. It was God's free, sovereign choice. So instead of looking at all the implications and, and trying to unpack the doctrine of election in two minutes, I want to instead offer another application from this. And that's to stop assuming who is a child of God and who isn't. Stop assuming who is a Christian and who is not. We've become so accustomed to Jacob and his story and his status as a great patriarch of the faith that we've forgotten that his character qualities were greatly lacking. And had we been standing there watching this story, we would say, well, he can't be on God's side. A description of a person like Jacob would lead us to believe that God was not at work in his life. And yet God was. And then, so the challenge I'm trying to convey here is to operate in such a way that leaves God in control of blessing and salvation and doesn't assume it upon ourselves. And we walk around saying, well, I think that person is elect and I think that person is depraved. Just stop. 
Let's leave that to God. It's, he is the only righteous judge. It is God's sovereign choice. And so if you already have this faith in Christ, your call is to simply share this gospel message, not take control like Isaac and Rebecca, and try to dictate who is an elect child of God and who is not. So what's the practical application to that? Share the gospel message with everyone you meet. Because God just might be at work in their lives, and you might be just privileged enough to be a part of it. It means your Muslim neighbor, your homosexual co-worker. Because to, to, to pull back and say they wouldn't want to hear this message is to say God couldn't work through Jacob and Isaac and Rebekah when clearly he did. Three applications, three challenges based on this story in light of the gospel. Let's stop being surprised by sin. Stop pretending we've earned our salvation and that blessing. And then finally, stop judging the salvation of others and leave it to God. I think you see such a, a picture of the gospel even in this dysfunctional story. This awful, tragic family. You see a beautiful picture of Christ's sacrifice for us. Why? Because you see God's grace. His undeserved blessing. To commemorate that here, we practice something called communion, uh, where this bread symbolizes the, the, the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the cup represents the blood that was shed for us. And as you take that today, I want you to taste it as if it was undeserved. Taste it knowing that this is grace and this is mercy that you have not earned this meal. And should you be here today without Christ, we pray that instead of taking communion, you take Christ. You accept this sacrifice. You claim His blood over your depraved life instead of trying to claw and scratch your way back to God. Would you read with me this communion reading as we begin to take this ancient rite? Jesus' death brings us life, and this meal reminds us that we are fed by Jesus and forgiven because of Jesus. We rejoice that you have died, have risen, and are now with the Father, advocating for us. Amen. This is also a time to give back to what God is doing at Veritas as we expand to the east side and hopefully in the years to come beyond as we continue to spread this message of, of God's good news and we partner with other churches in the city, we give of our, uh, of our time, our talent, and our treasure. So read this with me. With our money, time, and talent, we give generously, knowing that through your Son, Jesus, you have given generously to us. We rejoice that you have given everything, and we joyfully give everything back to your care. Amen.